Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the UW Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club onto the show to talk about a movie of their choosing. Whether that movie be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between, it's all on the table. I'm one of your hosts, Jim Saunders, and joining the podcast, as always, is Cynthia Lee. What's up, Jim? How's it going? Uh, it's going well. Enjoying my summer. Been yeah, we're like of... hitting that halfway point, kind of. Yeah, we're, we're a little over a month into it. Mm-hmm. Been thinking a lot about midsummer. <laughs> That's good, though. I, I'm thinking about it a lot, mm-hmm. too. I'm kind of tempted to go rewatch it, but I don't know yet. Just because there hasn't been anything good or not. It's been a slow summer for films. Yeah, no, for sure. I know also we never, I mean, we only talk about movies on this podcast, but I think it's interesting that this year we got two incredible pieces of media that are basically just concept pieces for breakups. <laughs> so, so we got so we got Midsummer mm-hmm. from Ari Aster, and then we got Igor, the album from Tyler, the Creator. Mm-hmm. which is all just a like, concept album about a bad breakup. Um, and then um, a podcast that we'll be recording later will also be kind of about breakups. That's very true, yeah. <laughs> the summer of week. breakups? Yeah. Me and you, are me and you having issues with relationships? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Wanted to point that out. <laughs> Everyone's just angsty about relationships, I guess. Very true. But the movie we're talking about today is not about a breakup. <laughs> no. No. As always, the Udo Film Club podcast, we have weird tangents at the very beginning and then we get on topic. So <laughs> we are now going to be talking about the movie that we uh, both saw at SIF. Which was like a month and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But right. this film like stayed in my head for a while, so... I feel like it's okay for us to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it just had its uh, national release last Friday, mm-hmm. and uh, the movie that we're talking about is *The Art of Self Defense*, which uh, stars Jesse Eisenberg and mm-hmm. is written and directed by Riley Stearns. Riley Stearns who we had the pleasure of interviewing at SIF a month and a half ago, which will be at the end of the podcast after we kind of talk about the film in general. Mm -hmm. But this movie is essentially, it follows the story of Jesse Eisenberg's character, Casey Davies, who Mm -hmm. is sort of this meek, uh, shy, sort of weak character. Very passive person. Yeah, he, he lets people just... Um, even if bad things happen to him, he will just let things, let people step all over him. Mm-hmm, yeah. And he's, he's very non-confrontational. And then one day, uh, he has to go out and walk alone to go get dog food. Uh, super his late little, at night. His little wiener dog, yeah. right? It was a wiener so, dog? Pretty sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Something like that. Some, some small. Breed. Small, he, yeah. He lives in like a nice, like quaint home and yeah. But regardless, he goes out and tries to get dog food and ends up uh, getting mugged. Mm -hmm. And then this sort of inspires him to create a change within himself. And he wants to learn karate because he wants to become, quote unquote, the people that he fears. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also, as 
like the title suggests, he wants to do it for self-defense. Self-defense, right, right. So that's sort of the framework to explore this whole story about toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of different things that yeah toxic masculinity that are explored yeah because the the dojo in which he signs up for is run by this guy named sensei i don't think he has another name but basically in this dojo it's like split into two classes the day class and the night class and the day class is this very harmless what you kind of would expect from karate classes where you just learn how to punch and kick and do all these interesting movements i guess and then the night class is this very aggressive sparring class where everyone mm -hmm. just beats the hell out of each other because that's the ideology that the sensei wants to invoke within the people in the night class right. so there's a very literal theme of black and white and yeah. dark and light there yeah. but and so we follow casey as he starts in the night or the day class starts in the night class starts in the day class and then end, ends up being in the night class because the sensei sees himself in Casey kind of or he sees Casey as this very malleable person that he right. can corrupt with his ideology and mm -hmm. slowly as the film progresses Casey starts to envelop all the um, very toxic ideals in which the sensei wants people to live in with that night class and it's over masculinity and aggressiveness. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of tackles how Casey starts to understand that this might not be the best way to go about living. Yeah. And I think um, him being so malleable or case, his character, Casey being so malleable and so, so naive from the very beginning mm -hmm. is what makes him really likable, at least in my opinion. Mm hmm. And and especially different from a lot of the I've I've heard some people say that is oh it's just another J Jesse Eisenberg role but I don't really see that mm, because... interesting because I kind of do see that I saw because mainly I'm a huge fan of the Social Network and mm -hmm. for me Jesse Eisenberg I don't I know you don't like it's you don't want to say oh the actor is this type of person and you. Like, when we watch films, it should not be, oh, I see this type of person for this actor if the actor is doing a good job. But at the same time, I, I think Jesse Eisenberg does a really good job here, but I could not, for the life of me, get Mark Zuckerberg out of my head <laughs> watching this film. I, I get that. I, get I don't that. know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, mainly because of what he does in this film. <laughs> but... At least for me, it, I think it's a very, I don't even know what, it, just like a very Jesse Eisenberg role, whatever that means to people, to other people. But for me, there's always this very specific type of role he plays where it's this meek, passive person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but at, at the same time, it's a lot of his past characters are like super energetic and mm -hmm. and sort of jittery. Like I, I think back to, to Lex Luthor in mm -hmm. Batman vs. Superman, and I, I do not see something like that in Casey at all. Mm -hmm. I guess just based on, like, oh, he plays kind of this jittery person, which is a weird way to describe people, but I think I, I kind of get that, mm -hmm. where in Art of Self-Defense, Jesse Eisenberg is very, very weak-willed. 
you feel so, so bad for him. Just the way he interacts with the people at his work, the fact that he has a little tiny wiener dog, Mm -hmm. you feel just so, so bad for him. But at the same time, just the way that Jesse Eisenberg acts and the way he communicates a lot of the language in this film just reminded me so much of the social network of him just talking very fast, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that is something that a lot of Jesse Eisenberg characters have in common. But he does a very, very, very good job in conveying the very literalness of this film, the very mm-hmm. abruptness of this film. This is 100% a black comedy. Yeah. It's also incredibly not subtle. Yeah, which very is perfect. not subtle. <laughs> it's very much if everyone's thoughts were said out loud. Like, yeah. I think there was one scene where he, where Jesse Eisenberg's character, Casey, says, like, I'm going to punch you now, and then punches him. Like, yeah. in a normal movie, it's just you would probably see some face acting or body movement or a longing shot just to convey that thought but it would never be actually said out loud where in this movie every thought is said out loud and really contributes to the very literalness in which this film executes on it's very much the actors are performing and saying these lines that are oftentimes so ridiculous Mm -hmm. and just so out there um, especially, I mean, sometimes with, with Jesse Eisenberg's character, but also with Sensei. Oh, like, yeah. Especially with Sensei. Yeah, when like, Sensei talks about what makes a man, quote-unquote, a man a man, um, where he's just like, yeah, you, you listen to this, 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 this. No one says that. Right. <laughs> like, to be a man, you have to listen to, like, death metal. And it, yeah, he, it, was, it was the really funny scene where he's, mm-hmm. he's in the music store and he's like... It's like he's like, oh, I listen to adult contemporary music, and then he goes through the into adult contemporary, and there's like <laughs> nothing there, and he's like, oh man. <laughs> um, but it very much operates on this level, like everything's just so literal, and mm-hmm. because all the characters just speak their mind, and especially, I think this is why uh, Riley Stearns chose to really focus all that energy into making both both Casey and the sensei like so so weird and out there and just say say whatever that what's on their mind mm-hmm. it's sort of to show how ridiculous the ideology is like he's actually saying these things and we're listening to them but that's like what he believes and mm-hmm. is, that, is that making sense yeah it's very much invoking the idea of oh, I thought about this in my head and it sounded very normal in my head, but when I said it out loud, it was very weird. Yeah, yeah. That kind of idea, Mm -hmm. where I think a lot of toxic ideals kind of follow that same pattern where it it may seem normal to someone in their head, but if they only just said it out loud, Mm -hmm. it would be very, very strange. Right. And very, very toxic. Exactly, yeah. But, like, overall, this... I, you kind of mentioned it in the beginning because for me, at least for me in this film, the main thing I got out of it was it's a commentary on toxic masculinity and its overall effects on people's, people's way of thinking 
and people's actions, but you kind of mentioned how it was a little bit more than that. I was wondering what else you kind of got out of this film, because for me, it was very interesting to see it talk about toxic masculinity and analyze it through Jesse Eisenberg's character, Casey, the sensei. Um, even the girl in the movie, I'm blanking on her name, but it's played by Imogen Poots. Hold on, hold on. Anna. It, those are like the three main people in which I saw an outlet of analyzing toxic masculinity and com and then opposing that with someone who's com somewhat compassionate, like Anna, who's also very much a different gender than mm -hmm. Casey and Sensei. I was wondering what else you kind of saw out of this film. Well, I also saw it as sort of an explanation of like false leaders mm -hmm. because Jesse Eisenberg or Casey is very much looking for like a, that purpose. Um, and so he mm -hmm. sees that in Sensei and, and that's why he, or him being so malleable and him looking for like a leader, like someone to, to follow leads him down that path of, of being really toxic. And then also Sensei praises that one, uh, the one guy he had the picture of up, up in the dojo. Who... Oh, the rainbow colored Sensei, yeah. like the ultimate yeah. grandmaster guy. Mm -hmm. Who yeah. had supposedly, um, killed someone, someone with like a thumb with, 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 a, with a thumb or a finger or something yeah. which is something that's very hilariously uh tied back to at the, at the end which mm -hmm. we'll talk about but that and just the whole it's that that sort of plays hand in hand with well just casey's whole journey of self-discovery because i think mm -hmm. his arc is really interesting mm -hmm. him starting out as this really meek timid person and then so in the in the middle he's toxic and and uber macho and mm -hmm. at the end he falls somewhere in the middle where he he stands his ground but he's still kind and gentle and more like himself than he was mm -hmm. like in the middle no yeah yeah i definitely see that i just thought it's interesting that you say that he kind of falls into the middle ground because for me at least towards the end where it, it's a very abrupt ending i would say it's just like, I shot him and we're mm -hmm. done. <laughs> the, the gag with the guns is kind of funny because throughout the film, this, they always talk about, oh, guns are for weak people. Mm -hmm. the, the film says that. Um, I think... I and think, then yeah. they're like, oh, karate is the ultimate art of self-defense. And then <laughs> the most powerful guy within this karate world is just killed by a gun. Is, right. It's kind of funny. It's also mm -hmm. a commentary. It could be a seen as a commentary on... Um, like him breaking away from that ideology. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the abruptness is funny because of the gag of the gun for me. But then it just ends. And then he, you see him just teaching these group of kindergartners. And all of a sudden, he's compassionate and nice again. And it never really resolves the consequences to for me at least it wasn't understanding those consequences full fully enough if that mm -hmm. made sense it just says oh he he shot him because he realized that the sensei is a bad dude but for me at least the self-discovery of jesse eisenberg's character casey of oh, I, I need to change never really struck with me if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think the, I think the film could have used 
a little bit longer to sort of breathe and let that play through a little bit more. Because it I think was the film is very it's very, very on the nose of this is very toxic and this is this is about toxic masculinity and we're showing you the effects and consequences of it. But then it doesn't really also show the consequences of understanding that it's bad. Yeah, I think I think the end is although it is really funny with mm-hmm. just him pulling out the gun. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right. That's that's something that I sort of had an issue with too when I was mm-hmm. watching it. There was that one really funny gag, and then it just kind of ends. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot more they they could have done with it, but um, I think throughout the whole film they do a, a good job of building him up. Yeah, they definitely build the the rise to toxic to these ideals is very very interesting to look at just Mm -hmm. because I feel like a lot of people have felt in their lives that they were weak compared to some other person and that the only way to be stronger is through this sort of very aggressive and physical way of thinking or at least some people have probably or they don't have like an aggressive rise like Casey but you know subtle here and there Mm -hmm. of thinking about just not thinking about these really not great thoughts because of a certain situation that you find yourself in. And I really enjoyed the rise of seeing that, mm-hmm. but then the, the understanding of it just never really hit for me. Yeah, I mean, I think because the way Casey's character is written and mm-hmm. because of everything that happens to him, it makes him, it makes you root for him in a way. But which is which is really weird and a really interesting idea because you know he's go he's headed down the wrong path, mm-hmm. but you're like you're rooting for him to to like stand up and like just to stand up for himself. But mm-hmm. then he because you're anticipating the moment in which he does because the sensei character is nuts. He's yeah. nuts. <laughs> yeah, and um. so you kind of just wish for it. like you're just almost just waiting, waiting for that moment. To, mm-hmm. for him to finally break through and understand this is fucking insane. Mm-hmm. I think I want to, now that I'm thinking about it, there's sort of that moment in the parking garage, mm-hmm. like at night. I think that's when he starts to realize that something's up. Yeah, for sure. So in that parking garage, basically uh, the sensei takes Casey to the is it like to the bar that he got shot? They go to a bar or uh, they go, I forgot the specific location, but they go somewhere and they follow this guy who um, Sensei tells Casey is the person who beat him up. Mm-hmm. And Casey um, knows that that's not the guy. Well, he least. doesn't until the end, right? Until after he shoots him. Because then they realize, oh, he doesn't, because, um... Don't, wait, does he, does he shoot, does, does Casey shoot someone? Oh, no, he doesn't shoot them, he, um... Oh, no, you're talking about shoot, shooting Sensei, sorry. sorry. No, no, I meant, um, he kills, well, he kills the guy who he, he, Casey is led to believe is the one who beat him up, because they follow this guy with the motorcycle, be- because um, the people who beat up Casey were on motorcycles. And so Sensei kind of eggs Casey on to be like, 
beat him up, beat him up, beat him up, beat him up. Let's get your revenge because this is some masculine people need to get revenge on the people that belittled them or -hmm. whatever. Then, so Casey ends up beating up the guy and then he realizes the guy he beat up was not the guy who beat him up, who beat him up earlier in the film because he rides like a normal bicycle, not a motorbike. Mm -hmm. And I think at that moment, he's like, oh shit. I'm, I was led to believe I have gone to a point where I think killing people who belittled me is an okay thing right. to think about. Mm-hmm. And then that moment along with, I think it was the moment where Casey has to cool down with Anna after the, the, the one of the night classes, that point where it's very implied, I think, that the sensei wanted Casey to rape Anna or something like that. And Casey very much has this crush on Anna. And I think at that moment, he also realizes like, oh, this is another fucked up way of thinking. If Sensei has sent me down to harass or belittle Anna because she's a girl. Because throughout the film, I think for me, Anna's a very interesting character to look at through this film because it's so, so obvious that she is being segregated and belittled and prejudiced and segregated and belittled by the sensei because she's a girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she... And she's very her... much aware of it as well. Right. And, but at the same time, she very much wants to prove, like, I can be a man, quote-unquote, whatever you consider a man. Mm-hmm. She, yeah. I, yeah, because she's, she's sort of desperate to, to finally break out and like show her worth Mm -hmm. kind of because she had been denied her her was it is it black belt black belt yeah yeah she had been denied her black belt like for forever yeah (laughs) basically Um, and she's done literally everything that sensei has asked her to do which one of the rituals or hazing things that um the people in the night class do is they kill people (laughs) yeah or or they violently beat up people when in the film is it revealed that it's sensei that, Kate, that it's sensei and them going out and it's like the third act the, the third bikes. act is very 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 fast mm-hmm. it's they go on the motorbikes to beat up the cop because that's Casey's kind of ritual that's Casey Casey's bridge to what sensei thinks is a man and mm-hmm. then they beat the cop up but Casey doesn't really want to kill the cop or like hurt him too aggressively and then they realize it's a cop and the cop shoots back and then Casey kind of gets really pissed and then kills the cop and runs off Mm -hmm. and then after that it's very quick to I think Casey realizing going into the secret room where he's told he's not allowed to be and realizing that it's sensei burning people's bodies and recording videos of other people beating up other people. And he finds a video of this particular dojo beating the shit out of him. Mm -hmm. And then it's the, I challenge you and then the shoot and then it's done. I think that's like the last 20 to 30 minutes. It's a very fast paced third act. Mm -hmm. And as much as I understand where what's coming, what is happening there, I just think it, it was too fast to end, you mm-hmm. know? And 
it's 104 minutes, so it's about an hour 40. I don't know, I'm very anti two films over two hours, so I would just wonder would it have even benefited with a longer ending just because this film is very abrupt and literal in a sense of this is what's happened, cut, this is what's happening, cut, this is what's happening, cut, and it invokes a very fast-paced movement, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so... The ending, as much as we're complaining, is fast, almost feels okay with the tone in which it's set up throughout the film. Right. But at the same time, I just, I feel like I wanted a little bit more from the idea of toxic masculinity because I think you saw this at SIF, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very, it's very apparent this film is criticizing toxic masculinity. And so some person asked, it was a Q&A at SIF because the director came to the screening and some person asked like oh what were you thinking about what were you trying to hit in terms of toxic masculinity about the film or something like that it was just like what did you see that made you want to make this film and he kind of was a little wishy-washy on his answer from this particular Q&A at least where it was just like oh I just wanted to make a film about karate and then I was just seeing things in the public that kind of related to what I wanted to talk about Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that kind of influences the that this film doesn't really go too deeply into understanding why it's bad rather than just showing that it is bad. Yeah, and I think that goes with the nature of it being not subtle and just completely mm-hmm. For sure, straight, yeah. straight-faced. It's just like, it's just saying, oh, yeah, it's it's wrong. It doesn't have to be a super in-depth it's yeah. just it's just how that I'd, those ideals corrupted these characters and how he learned that it was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I totally get that. I just feel like for me personally, I probably as my like a person who is very interested in the ideas of toxic masculinity as like why it's bad and understanding why people would think that way. I'm very interested in just the nature of it, but. Mm-hmm. And so being kind of interested in that, I'm also interested in understand why, understanding why people think that it's okay. And then so, sort of like, okay, if you understand why it's okay, and then you finally understand why it's bad, what makes you kind of understand why it's bad? Right. Um, like, why is it bad? I, well, no, it's obvious why it's bad, but I guess this film doesn't really go too deeply into having Casey understand why it's bad mm-hmm. other than the very literal sense of he should not be killing people. No, I mean, also, I, I sort of wish it explored more of where those ideas sort of stem from, because mm-hmm. at least, because at least for Casey, it's all through the wanting other to people. defend himself well, and then one, the stuff he himself. And also other people that share those same ideas and him being him being so much like like a sponge and absorbing those those thoughts and those ideals. But mm-hmm. now that you, now that you say that, I sort of wish it went a little bit more into where those ideals themselves stem mm-hmm. from, not mm-hmm. just for Casey. But and I, I don't think or no, I wasn't at that particular Q&A, but I feel like there's a lot of truth to that. Because I, or to what he said, to what the director said, 
Mm -hmm. because it feels like not to say that the toxic masculinity stuff was an afterthought because it definitely wasn't it just feels like oh he wanted to make a movie about karate or whatever and then he added that onto it Mm -hmm. it does feel like that for sure um i i don't know i just wish there was a little bit more but i did enjoy this film this film is very very funny Mm -hmm. i think yeah it it was definitely one of my favorites of the festival i Mm -hmm. i really really yeah yeah you mentioned like i think it was your favorite right that you Pro- saw it probably was my favorite i didn't mm-hmm. see a ton there was a lot that i really wanted to see at mm-hmm. sif like the farewell which which is out that soon. is yeah. it's out um in seattle and it's out where i am right now but it is out in seattle and sif highly recommend it mm-hmm. but this film is also out and i really highly recommend it as well it is very if anything it's super super funny <laughs> so if you even it's very 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 on the nose about toxic masculinity mm-hmm. being bad and that's great but it's also just a good time the people while sitting next to them as much as they were really annoying to sit next to because i was at this oh i will never this film will always be attached to a really bad movie theater experience for me so <laughs> oh, i don't know if that's my opinion that reflects my opinion on the film because the people i was sitting next to this girl brought a dog into the theater oh. took off her shoes put her feet on her boyfriend and um, kept getting up and down to get beer. And the dog was just sitting on the ground and I was really scared of kicking the dog because I don't want to kick a dog. Right. And I was just sitting there and I was like, wow, um, okay. But she had a great time. It sounded like her and her boyfriend seemed to be laughing a lot. And my whole theater was laughing a lot as well. Yeah. I think it helped that I was sitting next to sitting in front of like his sister the director's sister so that was interesting (laughs) but um yeah it's still like a really funny black comedy Mm -hmm. um some people it might not be for everyone just because black comedy isn't for everyone right but i still like recommend the film i think riley stearns will be an interesting director to look out for just because he makes some interesting choices here plus he wrote it so it's just very I always, comedy, I think, is probably the hardest thing to write and create just because you don't know what can land and what cannot. Right. That and something like horror is very much all based on, like, visceral reactions. So it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to say, like, when things will land or, or not. Mm-hmm. But I, it, this film is really funny. But yeah, Plus, ha- the, the acting is great, and I really enjoyed Stearns' choice of making the film very beigey to just kind of invoke this weird blandness also yeah. to the, the, the tone of the film. It's like this weird... The tone is very interesting. I don't even know how to describe it, but it does invoke like this very blandness, but very... This is fucked up to this very pittiness it's a mix of just a lot of different things going on but the tone is always very consistent yeah it's very literal there's no subtlety within this film i think the only subtlety in this film is the anna character (laughs) because they don't they never explicitly be like oh she's a girl she sucks right and that's something that you kind of just have to it's very in your face to pick up on but you do need to pick up on it yeah you, you at least need to... I mean, it's not hard to, 
to piece together, but it, you definitely need to at least piece together that part, even though mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's basically in your face. It's, there's not really explicit dialogue about it though. It's very in your face. This film is very in your face along with its dialogue, but it's also very in your face with its action sequences. I don't know if I, I don't, I'm not sure if I liked it or not because there's very jarring moments. It's brutal. Yeah. 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 Um, Someone's joints get popped Mm -hmm. and people just get shot. Stearns doesn't shy away from a lot of its brutalness, I guess, which lends itself to the very literalness of this film. Right. That in contrast of everything being sort of... Because he can easily and... shy away from the brut- brutality. Mm-hmm. But it's a very choice just to yeah. head on. This is what's happening. Yeah. Oh, and I totally forgot to mention him, but the guy who plays Sensei, Alessandro Nivola, very good. Very good. I really yeah. enjoyed his work. Um, mm-hmm. He was in a film I really liked last year, um, Obedience. He played the pastor, or not the pastor, the priest guy. Mm. Very different performance. And so <laughs> I'm very interested to see where his career keeps going on. I don't think I've seen him in a lot of other things. Me neither. But, but yeah, um, great performance. I agree. Oh, he was in You Were Never Really Here. He was? Yeah. What did he Playing play? Senator Williams. Oh, that's like a nothing role. Yeah. <laughs> that's a nothing role in that movie. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's pretty much all we have to say about this film. It's a, it's a fun time. Yeah. You don't Again, really have to think. I don't think the director is really trying to make this op-ed about toxic masculinity and its effects. Though I wish there are moments in which I, I, I wish he kind of did lean into that. But mm-hmm. it's very, surf, not surface level, but it's not very high concept, I guess. Right. It's, it's a really fun time. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people like us will really enjoy it. I think it might rub some people the wrong way, but... Yeah, potentially, yeah. Yeah. I, I see that. But I think it's a, it's a great film. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a, really, it's a really fun dark comedy. Again, not for mm-hmm. everybody, but I highly recommend it. Yeah, so it's one out my, this weekend. Still one yeah. of my favorites from 2019. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So now we're going to... We had the pleasure of interviewing, well, me and Jim didn't interview him. Um, our former co-prez, Greg Arietta had uh, the chance to interview Riley Stearns at SIF about a month ago. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to place that interview right now. So hope you enjoy that interview. Yep. So far. I'm sorry? How's your day been so far? It's been good. I got in at noon, uh, woke up pretty early to get here, and uh, my sister lives in Seattle, so... She's oh, at the she mic. She's going there tonight. She had seen a very rough cut of a movie around Christmas of 2017. So uh, this will be the first time seeing the finished version and with an audience, no less. Yeah. So it's cool. I saw it at South by Southwest and I really enjoyed it. Did we meet there at all? No. no you look I, familiar, so yeah, sorry. Oh, no. I was there as like a student. The South by has like this great program where you can like go as a student. Oh, awesome. At, like a heavily discounted rate. So I saw it yours right before The Highwayman. 
Which screening was my? Do you remember I went what to the Paramount. The, you were at the the premiere. Yeah. Cool. That, so. was, a, that was a raucous screening. Mm -hmm. uh, almost more than I was like wanting. It was like the people laughing so hard that lines were getting like mm -hmm. kind of uh, covered. Uh, every screening since has been a little bit more subdued, which is but it's still uh, boisterous, but not as not as insane. Yeah. That was one of those screenings where I, my girlfriend was working as a volunteer there. Oh, okay. And I told her, I'm like, you got to go see that as well. Like, Dude. it was that one and Booksmart on the same day, which is like... I just saw Booksmart. It's so good. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so great. Uh, that was probably my best day of the festival because I had, I had Booksmart in the evening and I had your film. And then it's what, it was between those was like Highwayman, which is... I liked it, but... Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, so one of the themes in this film is, is like toxic masculinity and how like you kind of use it and like you kind of approach it with like this humorous approach but you're ultimately critiquing it in a way you're almost like saying this is so absurd it's absurd yeah it's so absurd that we can make fun of it and make, yeah. it, make it humorous um where did the idea come from and like what set you in motion to like pursue the topic i guess the in the initial feeling was just uh one that i think a lot of men have uh, that I don't often I don't think people are often uh, willing to admit it is that they they don't feel enough like a man like mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was as masculine as other guys like presented themselves as I didn't know that I uh, like related to men in the same way that I, I was supposed to and and I'm uh, I don't know I, I just I wanted to kind of explore what that meant and that was also how I got into jujitsu without really even realizing it. I think I started jujitsu as a thing where I was like, oh, I'm, I wanna learn how to defend myself and I wanna, like I'm, I'm super into watching UFC and, and other forms of MMA, or, or sorry, other uh, promotions of MMA, but um, this jujitsu element seems like really cool, but I think it, like the deep-seated thing in my head was I'm afraid of, and, and I don't understand who I am. So uh, yeah, it came from a, a, a real place of just wanting to, um, kind of deconstruct what it is to be a man and take it on in kind of a super literal way. And if you present these things as literal as possible, you get to see how ridiculous they are. Mm -hmm. and, like the scenarios too are very like spot on. So you talked about how literal it is at times when he brings up like you can't learn French because it's a feminine language, sure. right? That is, it's like a hyper realistic form of like our own reality. And it's like, it's not that far removed from like, any situation that you would think normal, like the normal conversation, because it's just kind of ingrained. In yeah, well, well, I mean, people have over the years said that sort of thing, and that's why it's so dumb that it's that, that's like the way that we go with it is that this is something you've heard before, but we're just going to say it even more. Like it's going to be louder. Uh, there's a scene where I don't even think I realized it as I was writing it, but uh, when I've seen the movie a million times now where Alessandro is kind of just explaining masculinity versus femininity to Casey and and uh, kind of when he decides that he wants him to start working as a, uh, like the books at the at the academy and, and where he basically, he says the word uh, masculine, I want to say like four or five times in the scene. And it's just, it's a, it's just hammering at home. It's it's being super overt about it. And that's where the humor lies in, in for me is, is just being as on the nose as possible in some, in some uh, scenes. Uh, and then other scenes, you can get to be a little bit more subtle about stuff, and you can introduce. Uh, I think everyone's very black or white in the way that they present their thoughts and feelings. 
and Imogen's character is the one I think that ha kind of presents a little gray. And so, yeah, it's fun to, different between the different characters. Like Sensei is super on the nose, and Jesse's kind of just like a sponge. And 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 Casey, as in Casey, he gets to kind of soak up everything that he's learning. And then Imogen's character, Anna, gets to kind of play devil's advocate in a in a way, or be more the audience. Um, but yeah, I just I liked kind of exploring all of those thoughts in in a comedic way that in that in that way. Like for me as a, like a college student, when you walk past like front row or anything, it's just like it's. There it is. Yeah. So, um, one other question I had was, uh, like, how's, how early on did Jesse Eisenberg sign into the project? Because he, um, he fits that role very well. It's, it's so weird to think now that at one point he, like, I even wanted to say that at one point his name was brought up, and I was like, no, he's not right for it. Because um, we, uh, in the initial idea was, in, uh, in the script it even said it, um, is that Casey was supposed to be in his 40s. And so it was even more ridiculous and sad to me that a guy who's middle-aged is not feeling like a man. Uh, and, and then when he signs up for something like karate, how ridiculous that could be, like seeing mm -hmm. him jumping, kicking, and punching and stuff along with like teenagers in a class. Uh, so I, I really was just so set on that age for a while that when Jesse's name was first brought up, I was like, oh, he's not right because he's probably, he's not the right age. But we kind of went through that path and I... I, I realized that a lot of guys around that age just didn't feel, uh, I don't know, like they could do the role. Like a lot of, uh, I have one actor tell me uh, something along the lines or in an email uh, that he just couldn't play a weak character. He didn't want to mm -hmm. play a weak character right now. And that really struck me and also kind of really hammered home the reason why I wanted to make a movie like this is like, why is Casey considered weak? Like he's just mm -hmm. trying to figure out who he is. Why is that a weak thing to not just go along with everything that everyone's telling you. Like he's, he's actively trying to better himself and, and uh, figure out who he is for himself instead of like an expectation of himself. Um, when Jesse's name was brought up again later on, it kind of just clicked and the fact that he got the script as well as he did, it, it was a no brainer. But it, at, that, at, at the same time, that also meant like, cause once he said yes, his schedule was very finite in the amount of time that we could shoot with him because he was coming off of a project and had another one starting to shoot at the end of the year. And so I think he signed on. He said that he wanted to make it at, in, in, I want to say, late June, early July of 2017. And we started, so the second he said that, we started prepping for the prep in Kentucky. I think we were in, in Kentucky August 11th, mm -hmm. and we were shooting September 11th. So beginning of July to September 11th, that's the amount of time we had with Jesse saying like, okay, I'm gonna do it, figure it out, and then we're shooting, and then it was over. Like it was a 25 day shoot. Uh, it was fast, it was kind of by the seat of your pants type of thing, but we, we did it. And it's just insane still to think back that we were able to kind of put everything together mm -hmm. uh, in the way that we did and also have it work the way that it did. The film works on a lot of like dark, dry pan humor. Um, do you have any like inspirations personally when you wrote the script that kind of worked its way in there? Um, I don't necessarily feel like I'm inspired uh, specifically by films while I'm writing. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I want it to feel like its own world, and I, I have my own thoughts and and kind of worldviews that I'm trying to put in into into my projects. But um, I'd say in general, people that I'm inspired by, uh, other other directors. Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, Hal Ashby, 
uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, I, I really respond to people who like to blend tones. Oh, Coen Brothers for sure. Mm -hmm. People who blend tones and and aren't afraid to kind of make people uncomfortable with the fact that they're laughing at something that's really dark, or they're like un, they're I don't know uneasy about this comedic thing that shouldn't be so comedic maybe in their mind. Uh, that that kind of stuff is fun for me, and so in terms of tone, I definitely borrow from those people and and am very inspired by them. But uh, but I, I try not to like totally. I, I never want to homage people, mm -hmm. and and definitely don't like put shots from other people's movies in my into my movies. Um, but that's just the way that I work. Yeah, because when I was watching it, the the first thing I connected was like two thousand or not two thousand one. Um, Doctor Strangelove. Oh, cool! And how it was like that situation is like a very situ a very serious situation as well. But it's they the way he sets it up is very absurdist, and like we're just constantly escalating to the point where it's like, are we going to actually get to the point of? That's super cool to hear you say. Like I, I actually haven't thought about Doctor Strangelove in, in regards to this movie in a long time. But when I first put together a director's packet, when I was sending the script to certain producers and trying to get the feel for if people were going to want to work on it or which ended up being a process in and of itself, uh, I did mention Dr. Strangelove as like a, a film that I felt like, at least in terms of tone, it could be loosely inspired by. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I haven't thought about that in forever, so it's funny to hear that again. Because, yeah, I, I remember at one point that was something that I for sure was thinking. And, like, tone management. Like, for a comedy, it's very important. But your, your film goes to, like, at least from what I saw, is like it goes from absurdist to, like, to like a tipping point where it's like this is no longer a joke anymore this is like serious because he's now spoilers for people listening it's um like he then has to like start carrying out acts of violence himself in the way that he was yeah like, he, himself he um he becomes a tool for sensei's like machine mm -hmm. and um yeah I, I think that uh, uh i don't know it's 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 fun to to play around with all that and then have some a character that you're you're relating to go down a path that you know is wrong and 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 still kind of hope that they come out the other side uh, in a positive way but being able to play around with the darkness while they're while they're in it is fun so yeah how many revisions of the, the script did you have to get zero i don't like to rewrite mm -hmm. it's probably out of laziness more than anything but false is a first draft uh self-defense is a first draft i say first draft is in like i just the the script is what it is, and it's what's on the on in the movie is is on the page in that first draft. I change dialogue here and there, and I tweak like situations here and there. But yeah, if you look at the shooting uh, script for self defense or faults, and you compare it to the first draft, they're almost identical. So, uh, but it's not it's not that I'm not like thinking about like I think about a movie or a script for uh, up to a year before I start writing it. Mm -hmm. um, that time is coming down now because I just want to do more things. But uh, I, I like to really figure out exactly what I want to happen in terms of structure and then fill in the blanks in the writing. Like the, those are the fun parts it's where you're discovering fun things that happen and like you're like, oh, that's a cool callback. And that stuff I don't think about in the like structure part of the, the breaking of the story. But um, yeah, I, I, I guess I consider it like I let the idea percolate for a while. Mm -hmm. Before I start writing, so I, I've almost done all the rewrites before I even start writing. Um, 
It's not like I'm just going in blind and saying like, oh, whatever, and then he does this, and then that, and that leads to this. Like I know what I want to do, and and then when I don't do a rewrite, it's because I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. You think about like you hear stories, and they're always like these, um, like the actors have input on it, or like you send it off to someone else, and it goes through like rewrites and rewrites, and eventually it's like distilled from like whatever you originally conceived that that is. I'm in a very lucky position that that for two movies now I've been given. Um, or I've, I've met producers that have trusted my like perspective and vision, and uh, uh, Keith Calder and Jess Calder uh, at Snood Entertainment for Faults when they made that movie, they they loved the script, and that script is a first draft script, and it ended up on the blacklist that year for top. I think it was in the top ten uh, scripts that year, uh, and whatever that means, it's like people liked it, and that was great. Um, and then there's other people who would say, oh my god, that script like. I, if I was going to make it, I would need another 10 rewrites. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, then you wouldn't have been the right producer for it. Like, I'm looking to make things that I want to make, um, and I, I hope I find people who want to make the things that I want to make. But uh, I'm, I, when I send a script out, that's the, that's the film. And so uh, self-defense was the same thing. I found Andrew Korschak, and he got what I wanted to do and trusted that vision and didn't make me rewrite anything. And uh, the edit is where we get to collaborate. And if, if something is really not working, we talk about it. And that's where uh, we have back and forths and stuff. But um, yeah, like I, I, I if, if you want me to do 10 rewrites on something, then we're not going to be the right uh, team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, I've gotten to the point where now I don't have to worry about that. So on this next movie that I'm, I'm working on right now called Duel, D-U-A-L, uh, I've met these producers who are incredible. They make really incredible movies, and they are trusting me to, this is another thing where this is the script, this is what we're making, and they're not coming in and saying, you have to change anything. How, is that one going to be, I don't know how much you can say about it, but uh, is that one going to be, what's the, what's the take on that one? Is it, how different is it going to be from your prior works? It's definitely in the same vein. Uh, it's more along the lines of self-defense than faults in the sense that it's more heightened. It's pseudo-sci-fi. Uh, there's a cloning element involved, um, and it's a female lead, but it's uh, it's its own beast at the same time, but it's still very dark, but also very comedic. Mm-hmm. Uh, two things that I don't think I'll ever be able to make something that isn't funny, not in a, like, egotistical way. Like, I just like making stuff that's funny, so I'm never going to try to make something that's, like, only dramatic. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm always going to be trying to have a sense of humor about something. So that that's something that's always going to stick in my my work hopefully you kind of touched on it earlier with like the way you do drafts and stuff um or one one rewrite but like the payoffs in this film are like really the comedic payoffs are really good this film thank you especially with like um the finger and like you think it's it's such a almost (laughs) like a a revelatory thing it's like how how does he do that is that like a myth and it's just something there and just like once it happens it it's like oh and it just becomes like this great thing um like for, for a comedy like that like I guess you kind of already answered it, but it's like it's struck. Are you like threading it all the way through your your script when you write it? Yeah. So there's two things that come to mind, and and like when I was saying that I can have a structure kind of in place, but then sometimes the filling in the blanks are the fun parts. Um, in faults, uh, the there's a part in the beginning of the movie, or like where where they get to the motel, where Leela Norster's character Ansel reverses the doorknob, 
so that the female character, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, can't lock herself in the bathroom. He puts the lock on the outside, so he has control of the lock. That was just a thing in my head where I was like, oh, he wouldn't want her to control that, so he's going to switch out the locks. And I didn't think anything of it for a little while. And then once I got to a scene later on in the movie where I knew that they were going to have to be trapped in, conf in a confined space, I realized that that was like, uh, almost like I did it on purpose, but I didn't at the time, that that is how they get stuck in one spot and they have to talk. And it was that they get locked in together because he switched locks. That was something that just came about as I was writing and that wasn't a planned thing, but it became a cool callback. And I really love callbacks. Like there's a battery thing in that, that there's a callback where like he steals a battery and then that battery ends up catching fire because he puts steel wool in his pocket. And it's this weird sort of magical moment um, that was really fun, but that was another thing where it just happened as I was writing and it wasn't in the structuring of the story. But self-defense has moments like that too, and in particular, the finger moment that you're talking about without spoiling anything for your audience. Um, there's a, a moment in the, like where Sensei's character is explaining this like signature technique that his teacher never taught him, and, and he's, he, like, it seems so, like you said, it's so unrealistic, and how would that actually work? And in the moment I was writing it, I was like, I don't know, it's just like this funny thing and like I'll figure it out later and, and I, I believed that the finger thing was real. And then later on, I already knew how the movie was gonna kind of climax and I had this like epiphany as I got to that moment where, oh, like that's, that's something that I can connect. Those two things can be there and it's a callback. And then it ended up informing the dialogue later on, or like after the fact and, and made it where I realized, oh, that that story probably was fake. Like, mm -hmm. it's, Sensei believes it, but the Grand Master is probably lying. So, again, spoilers. It sucks yeah. to have to talk about that kind of stuff, but, like, I that was something that just came about in the moment. And I like how you can have an idea about a character or a line of dialogue, and something happens later on as you're writing that makes you go back and rethink your uh, motives on that or that character's mm -hmm. motives and the intention. And so, yeah, it went from being this thing where I believed that, that finger technique was real in the moment, and then later on, once I got to the later part in the movie, I was like, oh no, that's not real now. Like, that was, mm -hmm. that was this fabricated thing on his, half, or on his behalf. So all that kind of stuff is really fun to play around with, and, and that's where the, um, the experimentation during the writing process like, comes into play. Uh, one last question. I think you kind of answered it before. I was saying, do you actually know karate? But it sounded like you said jujitsu, right? I do jujitsu, yeah. So I've been doing jujitsu for six years now. Uh, I go five times a week. I uh, mm -hmm. haven't gone since last has junk Saturday. Has, has the junk kit been like messing? You've been doing no. probably the festival circuit, right? So I have, but I also, I've been in uh, LA still for a little while. Like this is actually the first festival um, in a string of festivals coming up. I was in Maryland a couple of weeks ago and now this festival leads into a lot of other ones. I actually was just sick all week, so like my voice is a little lower and, and, and weaker than normal, but uh, it affected my training, because I, I just, every day I would wake up and think like, okay, today I'm gonna be better, and I wasn't, so it's 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 almost like a, a, a jonesing, like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm like addicted to jujitsu now, where if I don't go after a couple of days, I start feeling weird, and I'm definitely in that moment right now where I just kinda wanna go choke somebody out. And, uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I would be training in Seattle, I just don't think I have enough time. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're here for like two days. Right? I'm here for two days, and then I, I go back to LA, so I'll train a couple of days in LA, and then I'll train while I'm in Oklahoma City, hopefully, and I'll train while I'm in New Jersey, 
And then internationally, like I know, like there's a couple of festivals that haven't been announced, but one that has been announced is in South Korea. So uh, my my instructor told me about this place that I'm going to go train at in South Korea, and it's great. You don't even have to speak the same language because you speak the same language of jujitsu. So it's That's pretty awesome. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you for the interview. It's Dude, of course. An amazing film. I appreciate it. I love the comedy in it. So definitely check it out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed that interview. Um, and thanks for tuning in this week. You can follow, find us on Facebook at UW Film Club and then find us on Twitter and Instagram at Film Club UW. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud. And Spotify. And Spotify. Next week, we will be talking about... 500 days of summer. Yep. Because it's only been like 30 days of summer for us. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. Um, but... We thought it was a good time to, to, to talk about that film just, just because it's the middle of the summer. It's about someone named Summer. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, we, it's... We think it's pretty topical. Essentially summer-related. <laughs> it's a summer film. It counts, guys. Yeah, yeah. It has the word <laughs> summer in it, so it's a summer yeah. film. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you question us, then that's our reasoning. But yeah. anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Tune in next week. Bye.